Good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to start with a, a phrase that I want you to complete the end of. I'll begin it, and then as you're thinking and reasoning and feeling along here with us as we go through this psalm this morning, I want you to complete the end of this statement. And the statement goes, I'll be happy when... Dot, 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 dot. I'll be happy when... Dot, 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 dot. Yeah, this morning we're looking at Psalm 1, and Psalm 1 serves as a wisdom psalm. And in this wisdom psalm, the psalmist here is telling us uh, three things that we're going to look at regarding happiness. And happiness is used interchangeably with the word blessed. So uh, the first thing that we're going to learn is that uh, I am happy when I learn where happiness does not come from. I am happy when I learn the source of true happiness. And then last of all, uh, I am happy as I learn to grow in God's happiness. So I'll repeat the phrase again and invite you to be thinking along with me as you complete the end of this phrase. I am happy when, or I'll be happy when, dot, 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 dot. Some of you are thinking right now, I'll be happy when my political party wins the election. I'll be happy when everyone can just uh, get on my side of the way that they should all be thinking. Uh, or similar to Susan Cain, the, the author of the book called Quiet, uh, reaching number one on the NPR bestseller list, uh, who says, I'll be happy when the loud extroverts learn how to be quiet. Can we get an amen there? Um, you may be saying, I'll be happy when I finish my to-do list. And of course, you wake up again tomorrow, and there's yet another large to-do list glaring you uh, right in the face, demanding deadlines and so forth. Or you may be like hip-hop artist Tupac regarding happiness, saying that you got to be able to just smile through all the bullsh. Uh, or we might say, I'll be happy when I'm treated with respect. I'll be happy when I'm given love. Similar to Drake, when Drake sings, when people treat you like nothing, you begin to feel like nothing. Or we might say, I'll be happy when I'm in control. Of course, we don't want anyone to else, to else to know that, that we're thinking that, but deep down inside, that's what we're thinking. I'll be happy when, dot, 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 dot. We may say, I'll be happy when I become rich and famous. I'll be happy when, dot, 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 dot. Psalm 1. Why don't we read Psalm 1 together? And once again, I invite you as we've been going through this series on the Psalms to open to the middle of the Bible and think, reason, feel, connect with God. The Psalms were written not as just a gather together and say hallelujah, praise God, and act like everything in the world is going uh, great. Rather, it's coming before God with an honesty knowing and admitting and seeing that the world around us is full of injustice and is not the way that it ought to be. Yet it means coming before God with that honesty and asking for direction, asking for wisdom 
and meeting God right there in your emotions, wherever it is that you're coming from. So we're invited to do the same thing this morning as we look at Psalm 1 together. Let's read along together. Psalm 1. And again, this word blessed can be used interchangeably with the word happy. Psalm 1 reads, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's just pause right now and give God thanks for this psalm of wisdom that truly teaches us all sorts of good things about happiness and blessedness. Let's pray right now together. Lord, don't let us be seduced by the world, either naively going with the crowd or becoming a hardened cynic. Help us meditate on your word to the point of delight. Give us stability in the midst of these circumstances. Yet globally, the the pandemic that we're all going through, and even locally here in NorCal, here in Northern California, where we're surrounded by fires. Father God, teach us where happiness and prosperity comes from. Oh, how we need that. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'll be happy when... Dot, dot, dot. The psalmist, the very first thing that we're being taught here is, I'll be happy when I learn where happiness and blessedness does not come from. Verse 1, the word blessed, it's a Hebrew word for happiness. And uh, we seek happiness and blessing from all sorts of places, and that's because we were made for it. We were made for blessedness and for true happiness, yet we seek it in places where it actually does not exist. And that's the sad part of your story and my story and the story that we all live in, is happiness has been pursued from places where it doesn't really reside. Verse 1 here, it says, where blessings do not come from, where happiness is not found. It says, verse 1 says, blessing does not come from walking in step with the wicked or cozying up with mockers of God. You notice these superlatives of this type of person or this type of culture where it says the wicked or mockers. And this, in summary, means those who refuse to live according to God's way. Those who refuse to receive and live according to God's instruction, God's covenantal instruction, God's covenant and his instruction given to us in the way that we ought to go. So views contrary to God's word don't really yield blessing. They might look as though they do, but for the long haul, 
And for the deepest sense of the word, blessedness and happiness is not going to come from anything that's contrary to God's covenantal instruction that he gives us. Yet we're sneaky. We're sneaky human beings, and so we begin to devise our own way to find happiness and blessedness, and we look for it in all sorts of areas instead of God's covenantal instruction. We say things to ourselves like, you know what, I don't really need God in my job or in my career. You know, I may pray or I may say I believe in God, but when it comes down to my career or my profession, I don't really need God in that way. I I can really make my own decisions. Or we might say, I don't need God. I can manage my relationships or my sexuality. And then you spend a lifetime creating your own standards for that happiness, which may come and go. Or we may say, you know, I don't really need God to help me in my pain or in my loss. I'm a survivor. I can do this myself. I'm quite strong. I'm resourceful. And then you spend a year or a decade or a lifetime running away from pain, doing as much as you can to run away from suffering and grief and loss. Look at verse 4 with me as it talks about the chaff that the wind blows away. See, this, this is reminding us that this chaff, in, in what they do, that, that, that there's no benefit. It basically is futile. Chaff is rootless, it's weightless, it's useless, it's truly vanity. Imagine pursuing a a, a sense of happiness or blessedness. Maybe you've gone after something thinking that it was really going to give you a sense of happiness or blessedness. You went after it as hard as you possibly could, and then that blessedness or that happiness seemed to sort of disappear or you had to wake up all over again and pursue it even harder than the last time. And it's because it's vanity. It's vanity if it's pursued from the wrong places. Verse 6 says, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. See, it's a road, it's a life that truly leads to nothingness and vanity. When we seek our own happiness apart from God's covenantal instruction. Again, this is a psalm of wisdom. And just like the book of Proverbs, a wisdom literature, it's being framed by saying, if you want wisdom and you want blessing, go this way. If you want to be a fool, if you want to be totally disappointed, then go ahead and proceed the other way. And that way ends in death, it ends in destruction, it ends in total vanity. As Proverbs chapter 11, verse 7 says, when the wicked dies, his hope perishes. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. Wow, wow, the sobriety mentioned in that very wisdom verse there in Proverbs, that if you're truly pursuing wealth, and that's where your happiness is ultimately going to come from, when you die, ultimately, which we all will, your wealth also perishes. So I ask you this morning, as I'm being asked, as we go through this psalm together, where is your happiness rooted in? What is it rooted in? What's your life rooted in? See, we're all attached to something. We're all rooted in something, as we were just reading about this metaphor of a tree that's planted 
by the streams of water that's gonna bear all of this fruit. Your life, yeah, your, your tree, what, what, are you, what are your roots deeply connecting to, looking for happiness in or from? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, mentions that we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy or blessedness or happiness is offered us. Yet we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. End quote. Psalm 1, this wisdom, is, this wisdom psalm is saying, look, I'll be happy when I learn where happiness is not found. It's not found in pursuing the culture or pursuing the ways of the wicked, but it's truly found in pursuing the ways of God's covenantal instruction. So that brings us to the second thing here. I'll be happy when, dot, 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 I learn the source of happiness and prosperity. This word blessed or happiness is used 26 times in the psalm, maybe more, maybe less, but as I go through the psalms, that's how many times I've counted it, 26 times. And I'll just list a few of these, read some of these out to you. I'm happiest when... Psalm 119, verse 1, and Psalm 128, verse 1 says, I'm happiest when I walk in God's ways or in God's covenantal instruction. Blessed are those who delight in God's covenantal instruction. Psalm 112, verse 1. Blessed are those who do justice. Not just think about it or just say, oh, that's just for those people to do, but blessed are those who do justice. Psalm 106, verse 3. Blessed are those whose strength is the Lord. See, that's where you're going to be happiest. It's when your strength is truly coming from the Lord. Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, is what Psalm 84, 12 says. Or blessed are those who remember the poor. Wow, have you ever thought about that, that your happiness is greatest, your blessing is greatest when you remember the poor? Psalm 41, verse one says. Or another one, blessed are those who take refuge in the Lord. That's from Psalm 34, verse eight. We looked at Psalm 34 a few weeks ago um, about taste and see that the Lord is good. That's verse 7, verse 8 says that blessed are those who take refuge in the Lord. Let's get to this tree illustration. This tree illustration planted by, verse 3, look at it with me. This tree illustration planted by streams of water and, and yielding fruit. Be like a tree, really? Is that it? Is that what, is that what this psalm comes down to? I mean, it sounds a little naive, doesn't it? When you really start thinking and sort of maybe trying to push back a little bit against this text, you begin to fight with it a little bit and you say, really, it comes down to some tree illustration and metaphor? Don't trees die? (laughs) 
And don't miss the beauty, though, of this metaphor. Don't, don't miss that this is really talking about a person of stability, a person of substance, a person of growth. And the thing that's so powerful about this illustration, the tree, is that proximity really matters. Proximity matters. A tree is planted close to the stream of water. See, there's this promise of resilience of a tree with with the source of living water that they will never, ever dry up. Your happiness will never dry up. Your blessedness will never dry up insofar as you're planted close to these streams of water, namely God himself, namely God's word that gives us this resiliency. So this tree metaphor does not say, and here's another bit of good news about the tree metaphor, it does not say that you'll be like the largest tree. Yeah, you'll be a super tree. You'll be the greatest Christian, or you'll be a rising star in evangelicalism. You'll be a rising star in Christianity. You'll be the strongest of them all. You'll be the tallest tree. See, that's the good news of, be, of, of being just a tree. Christianity is not a competition of who's the best. It's, it, it, this is good news that I don't have to be a super Christian. In fact, there's no such a thing as a super Christian. Just be you. Yeah, we're called trees here in Psalm 1 as God followers, Jesus followers, Christians. Just be you. Be a tree that's planted by the streams of water. See, that's where your strength comes from. Let your roots go down deep into God. And as we talk about this tree metaphor and this illustration, we have to. We have to talk about another tree. We have to talk about another tree. Psalm 2, Psalm 2 talks about the anointed one. And the anointed one, which we're going to get to next week in next week's sermon, when we talk about Christ in the Psalms, as we look at Psalm 2 and Psalm 22 and other places where Jesus is in the Psalms. But Psalm 2, the anointed one, is this promise of Jesus. That's the story. That the Word made flesh, this God-man, who came down among us, and we saw fit to kill him and put him on a tree, put him on that tree, that cross, in which he was nailed and crucified. See, this metaphor, once again, of this tree being planted is is, is pointing us subtly but powerfully towards imagining another tree, the same tree that Jesus would be crucified upon. And because of that tree, I can be rooted forever. Because of that tree, because of Christ and his cross, you too can be rooted in blessing and in happiness forever. (laughs) No one, no circumstance can ever take that away from you. It can be threatened, but not truly ever taken away from you. you. You can plant your life in my living water, Jesus is saying, and you will never go thirsty. Look at verse three and four, contrasting the fruitfulness, based on two similes, based on agriculture here in ancient Palestine. Again, this tree metaphor describing the effects of the two kinds of people. Yeah, both types of people. One looking for their own happiness in their own way, that is, those of the wicked and the mockers, that there's truly, their life truly isn't going to lead to a fruitfulness. It's going to lead to destruction. 
and ultimately vanity. It may look like happiness. It may think, it may make you think and begin to sort of consider, I'm, I'm just going to trade Christianity in. It's not working for me. I, I'm, I'm just going to trade it in and go for the other lifestyle and gain a sense of happiness right now and, and pleasure right now. But be warned of this wisdom psalm telling you it only leads to destruction. That's the fruit that that life bears. Look in verse three, though, that those who know that the source of happiness and blessedness is in the Lord and in God himself. Verse three says, whose leaf does not wither. It begins to bear fruit. Think of a tree in this dry climate. Nevertheless, it thrives. Yeah, it's in this dry climate. It's dry, and, and yet it thrives because of its constant supply of water. And so when it bears fruit, it's not just for itself, but it's for others. It's able to bless others because it's been blessed. It's able to liberally overflow with blessing because that person, their roots are are tapped into the source continually. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the Psalms, he says that this leaf that does not wither here in verse 3, he mentions that this is freedom freedom from the crippling damage of drought. See, that crippling damage of drought can be truly pursuing happiness from other sources. Remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the person who abides in me will bear much fruit. That is, the person who finds their deepest roots abiding in and connecting in me, they're going to bear fruit. They're gonna be, that's the person who's blessed. That's the person who's truly happy. And elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, we, we get insight into what this fruit on this tree really looks like. So yeah, here in California, of course, we're called the land of fruit and nuts. A good try at a joke, it doesn't work, but true fruitfulness, true fruitfulness for the Christian here in Galatians, it says the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that is your roots deeply abiding into God and finding your blessedness and happiness in God. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit. You don't bear it yourself. It's that botanical, organic growth that happens and continues to happen insofar as you are staying connected with God through Jesus. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'll be happy when... Well, I'm going to mention some applications here, some takeaways, and it's wonderful that our psalmist gives this here to us, that I'll be happy when, dot, 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 dot. Yeah, here's some specific applications. I'll be happy when I learn to grow in God's happiness. There are three specific ways of growing in God's happiness. Here's the first one. I'll be happiest when I delight in the law of the Lord. And delighting in the Bible is is like the secret to, it shouldn't be a secret, 
But delighting in the law of the Lord is like a secret to growth in your relationship with God. Let me ask you a question as I'm being reminded to reflect as we go through this wisdom psalm together. What do you delight in? What is it that you delight in? See, the Christian story is one of delight. The Christian story is not religion, it's not duty, but delight. Delighting, learning to delight in a God who delights in me. That's the Christian story. Verse two here in in this psalm, verse two says, delight. Now, the word delight does not merely mean to comply. As in, hey, you've got to comply to God's laws or God's commandments. But the word delight means to love. And so we have to ask, delight in what? Love what? And he's very clear that he says, in the law of the Lord. And and when he says the law of the Lord, he's not just referring to the Ten Commandments. He's referring to all of the Bible. Love the Bible. Delight in the Bible. It means to delight in God's covenantal instruction for us. The Bible refers to itself as the law of the Lord. I mean, have you actually read it? Are you reading it? You might be familiar with the Ten Commandments, and you may say things like, well, I've never murdered anyone. And then you read Jesus in the New Testament expounding on the law of God, where Jesus says, you know, things like, not only have you killed someone, which some of us would say, I've never done that, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount would explain the law of the Lord and and the righteousness that's required uh, as saying, have you resented anyone? Have you ever hated anyone? See, Jesus is expounding God's law. Or another one of the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. Real quickly, some of us can say, well, I've never committed adultery. And yet Jesus in the New Testament expounding on and explaining God's law Asking, have you ever lusted? Do you lust? And so right there, we may be thinking, wow, I don't even know if it's possible to delight in God's law, if that's what it truly means. Once we hear Jesus begin to expound on what God's law really means, how can we delight, truly love God's law? And the, and the only way, the only way is 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 only through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ truly delighted in God's law. You and I, we we fall short. We fail. Jesus delighted in the law of God. That's the good news for us as Jesus followers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus, uh, it's referring to Jesus where Jesus says, I delight to do your will, O Lord. Your law is written in my heart. See, Jesus isn't just an example for us in doing God's law and keeping God's covenantal instruction. He's not just an example to follow, but he's a curse. Jesus became a curse for us because we can't fully obey the law. That's where we say hallelujah and praise the Lord whenever we think about this blessing, this happiness that has come to us through the person of Christ. 
So even when you're having a bad day, even when you're having a bad week, it's only in Jesus that you and I can delight in the law of God. Again, delighting means delighting in this story, delighting in this identity, delighting in this happiness, and in this blessing that comes from God, not making up your own happiness or pursuing your own happiness. And we're constantly, are we not? We are constantly having other narratives and other stories invite us to partake of that identity and that happiness. And our very first application here is that I'll be happiest when I learn to delight in the law of the Lord. And the second application is I'll be happiest when I meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. This word meditate. Oh, once again, regarding Jesus, Jesus meditated on the scriptures day and night that they quite literally just flowed out of his mind and out of his mouth. Yeah, even on the cross in Psalm 22, verse 1, the psalmist is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And sometimes that's the way that you and I feel. And so Jesus on the cross, he's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. He he meditated on Scripture day and night so that it literally flowed out of him even as he was about to die. What are you meditating on? What is it that has captured your mind and that your mind constantly thinks about? And many people, when they hear the word uh, meditate or to, you know, meditation, they they may be thinking of some Eastern meditation and Uh, When we talk about Christian meditation or biblical meditation, there is uh, a a very large difference. What is that difference? Uh, In our culture, Eastern meditation, it it simply means, you know, an emptying of all the mind, an emptying of all thoughts, uh, to to empty your mind of all rational thoughts and just be open to the, the universe, and I think that's quite dangerous. I think it's quite dangerous of emptying your mind of all thought, number one, because I don't really think it's possible to truly empty your mind of all thinking and all rational thought. And, and, and another reason is I think our hearts are not just neutral. I think our, our, our hearts can, uh, can be trusted when sometimes our hearts should not be trusted. Sometimes our hearts can lead us toward evil. Yeah, evil lurks right in our own minds and in our own hearts because we are sinful. And so unless you're constantly redirecting your mind and redirecting your thoughts toward God, the heart is just going to go wherever it chooses to go. And many times that's not a very trustworthy place to be led. And so the biblical idea of meditation is just the opposite of Eastern meditation, The biblical meditation means to fill our mind, to fill our thinking uh, with God and God's word. It means to fix your mind on the truth, and it means to speak to your heart about that truth. Um, So yeah, it basically means to take the truths. For example, take a very specific truth in the Bible or a very specific attribute of God. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, about some of those attributes of God that we found quite beautifully here in the Psalms. But meditation is thinking very specifically 
about an attribute of God. And then you begin to speak to your heart. It's almost like pushing it towards your soul and your heart until your soul and your heart burns with delight on God and in God and hanging out right there until that happens. And if it doesn't happen, you linger. You stay there all the more. So the word meditate in the Hebrew language, it means to whisper. It means uh, repetition. It means murmuring. It means basically like to, to think it, but also it means to speak it again and again. Saying the word of God to yourself. Having a conversation with God repetitively. Uh, notice the connection here of, 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 of delight uh, regarding uh, meditating. Meditating and delight, that, that connection there. That it's delight-driven thinking. That's what meditation really is. It's delight-driven. It's seriously pondering for the sake of spiritual pleasure. You spiritually ponder the attributes of God. Compare this with Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, where it says, Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. See, this is very similar to Psalm 1, is it not? Notice the connection here of the word trusting. Trusting. See, meditating really just means trusting in the Lord. The word meditate in Hebrew is the same word to plot. To plot is to think. Is to, to have steps towards something. And in Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Why do the nations plot? Why do they murmur in vain? What's that? What, what that's doing in Psalm 2 is it's asking us a question. What happens when you meditate against the Lord? Vanity is what happens when you meditate, or whenever you plot against the Lord. Vanity is what happens. Nothingness fruitlessness is what happens. And the opposite of that is true. What happens when you meditate on the Lord? Prosperity, success, happiness, blessedness. We have to learn how to meditate. We have to learn how to fix our mind on an attribute of God. We have to learn how to speak to our heart and our soul. And we have to learn how to rest there, hang out there, linger right there until the heart and the soul basically just catches fire and delights on the God that we're conversing with and getting to know. If you do this and if you meditate on God's love in this way, when you delight in and you meditate on God's covenantal instruction, don't be surprised that you no longer use people to get just what you want. Don't be surprised that whenever you meditate and delight in God's law, you begin to see people differently. Don't be surprised that you begin to forgive people a little bit quicker than you used to forgive people. People that you used to say, oh, I'll never forgive that person. They don't deserve it. Don't be surprised that when you see someone in front of you and they are of real value to you, because you're meditating on a Jesus who sees you in that way. Sees you with dignity, with respect, and with love. The third application here of being happy is, I'll be happiest when I believe God's promise. Yeah, verse 3 says, Whatever they do prospers. 
Now, this almost sounds so naive, right? Like you're just going to prosper in whatever you do? It seems naive because when you look at other parts of Scripture, it doesn't seem like it's promising prosperity. If you remember Psalm 37, verse 7, it says the evil prosper in their way. Or Malachi chapter 3, verse 15 says evildoers prosper and they escape. Isn't that the world that you live in? Psalm 44, verse 22 says, What about the godly? We are killed and regarded as sheep being slaughtered. Whatever they do prospers? Really? How can that be true? Does this mean that your business is always going to succeed? Does this mean that your diseases are always going to be healed? Does this mean that your family is always going to be flourishing? And does this mean that you're never going to be the victim of violence? It seems quite contradictory, doesn't it? That in this portion of Scripture here, verse 3, that you'll be happiest when you believe this promise that whatever they do, you're going to prosper. Yet in other parts in Scripture and in perhaps your everyday real life, maybe we don't really see that prospering. And so there seems to be a contradiction. Well, what do you do? What do you do when you come across a problem like this in Scripture? Well, one of the first things you can do is you can say, you know what, I'm out. I'm out. I'm putting the Bible on the shelf or I'm just going to burn it or get it out of my life. I'm going to run from Christianity. It's just not true because it looks as though there's some huge contradiction. It's so naive to believe this. Or you can say, you know what, that this um, is truly God's word. And I don't really understand what this means, but I know that it's God's word. And I know that God is good. God, please teach me what this means. Show me, teach me what this means. And as we get into Romans 8, Paul, Paul, in in beautifully writing, and by the way, Romans chapter 8 is an amazing uh, chapter to, to memorize and to meditate on. But in Romans 8, Paul is quoting from Psalm 44 that we just read a portion of. We just read a portion of that that, that said that we are being killed and regarded as sheep being slaughtered. See, Paul in Romans 8 is quoting Psalm 44. Some of these words in Romans 8 don't seem like prosperity and like blessing, do they? In Romans 8, you know, the Messiah has come and God acts in history in a way that no one expected through the person of Jesus and it's through Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross that therefore there is now no condemnation. We have forgiveness in him. And yet it doesn't sound like prosperity sometime in blessing. Romans 8 says, as it is written for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another promise of prosperity and all things working out in the end comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 58, where it looks like death has the victory 
Yet death does not have the victory. We have the victory. And so that passage says, therefore be steadfast, be immovable through all of your suffering and all of your disappointment and all of your brokenness. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 8 is another one of those passages that in the midst of a business deal that went sour, it looks like prosperity's not going to come. You did the right thing. But you're not experiencing the prosperity that the unjust person is experiencing. Or in the midst of being beaten unjustly, how in the world is that experiencing happiness or prosperity? And as Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. You will be, be, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In your business life, you may think this, this, this looks like a non-prospering deal. You may, you may be thinking that you, you, you may be about to go bankrupt in helping others. You will prosper no matter what happens financially because you did the right thing. Because you were that tree planted by these streams of water. You are abiding in Christ so that you will bear much fruit. And it's that prosperity, that blessedness, that happiness that can't be taken away from you. And so as we close, we come back to the phrase that we started with, I'll be happy when, dot, dot, dot. Jesus answers this for us in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is using this same word here, blessed or happiness, as is used in Psalm here for us, Psalm 1. Jesus is saying, happy are you when you're poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the humble. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy and blessed are the merciful. Happy and blessed are the pure in heart. And happy and blessed are the peacemakers. Why don't we pray together for that happiness and that blessedness that God promises us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing and happiness of being loved by you. Help our roots grow deeper into you as we learn to trust you and we learn to meditate on your word and we learn to delight in you. Teach us. Thank you for being patient with us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.